Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to week 18, the final regular season slate of NBC Sports Edge's DFS Building Block Show. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined by friend in life, Kyle Dvorak. Kyle, interesting slate since we have motivation, milestones, second string players to discuss. And as we move along here, I actually want to open and talking about where I'm struggling with right now because genuinely I come on this show typically every week and have a good idea of what to do for leverage or at least options to leverage off of the chalk. But honestly, like this slate, and tell me if you see something different right now, this slate revolves around Jonathan Taylor, Josh Allen, and Cardinal Seahawks. We had Trey Lance. We had Justin Fields. Maybe Taysom Hill, if you want to throw him in, who's a terrific option as well. But honestly, like we lost a lot of the options that we were going to cite as rushing quarterbacks indoors in terrific spots to mash Josh Allen playing in the snow. And so now I feel like I'm actually somewhat lost in how do I pivot off these these options that everyone is talking about and going to play. I do like how you're like, there's this game or there's this team, this running back, and that's it. Because like, there are so many spots like Cincinnati, Cleveland, uh, like it's perfectly designed for us to not have any usable players, especially like on the Cincy side, Jamar Chase yeah. goes out, catches a first long pass. And you're like, let's get cooking Jamar Chase. And like, he got the record. Let's pull him. So, but you can't play his backups either. And you couldn't because they have Brandon Allen. Anyways, there's so many just awful spots like Green Bay, like Jordan Love, uh, super cheap. No, they still are talking about playing Aaron Rodgers a little bit. Dude, three quarters of Jordan Love ain't going to cut it. Like, let alone four, like four quarters wasn't going to cut it anyway. So so many awful spots. I do think, I think this is a, a slate where I'm really confident or comfortable at least just opting to jam in an entire team. Like we saw with the $2,000 Millimaker winner, Alex Baker, uh, just played all Seattle because this could be a slate where so many teams, even if they put up points, which mm -hmm. is not a given, are like chopping it so many different ways. Washington has a good game. They play Gibson the first half and then Jared Patterson gets the entire second half because Rivera has talked about playing his younger players in this week 18 spot that means nothing for them. So I think this is a spot where the leverage could just be by jamming an entire team. Like New England last week actually had a very similar feel and they could this week as well because they're playing with motivation versus Miami where if you jam New England last week, you didn't win, but you, you probably had a pretty good shot at doing it because no matter which running back you picked, you had a good time. You got your Jacoby Myers touchdown and Mac threw three, although he didn't have a, an incredible ceiling. So I think that could be one specific way where you can still play Jonathan Taylor, but if you jam a different specific 
offense that has motivation plays for four quarters, that could be the key to getting in in the paint this week where it's going to be a very strange one. So I agree. And I think the two offenses I was actually thinking about, and it wasn't even the Bills. Josh Allen, terrific option against the Jets. You don't need to hear me combat him, even though, like we've said the past two weeks, I think Devin Singletary, especially in the snow, especially in bad weather, is again a terrific leverage option. If I play Josh Allen this week, given the finite amount of quarterbacks we're discussing, I think I play him with Devin Singletary anyways to get a little bit unique and get all the touchdowns there. But to your point, I think the two offenses – I would look to be heavier on over the field on right now, because remember, as discussed in the recap show, still available every week, NBC Sports Edge YouTube page that you're probably watching this replay at if you're watching over the weekend. Awesome, Alex Baker, friend of the show, lives in Chicago, actually went over the field in that Millie. He won the Millie Maker because it was a offense with upside that no one was discussing. Like we were all touting and talking about what to do with the Bucks players, what to do with Cooper Cup and Jonathan Taylor. And here are the Seahawks in a great spot, condensed target shares. You know who gets the production. No one sneaks out and gets production in this offense. And so when I think about that, it's not so much as sneaky as the Seahawks, but I think about Kyler, James Conner, and Christian Kirk, and Zach Ertz, if you want to do that as well. We know where the production goes. Maybe, you know, Antoine Wesley sneaks in a touchdown there. I would be hoping, though, that Ertz would get one instead. Antoine Wesley, you know, three touchdowns in his last nine catches without DeAndre Hopkins these past three weeks. Just absurd efficiency. And not even saying it's going to regress because in those three games, he's leading the team in end zone targets. So maybe if you want to do, you know, Kyler, Kirk, Wesley, and Connor, that's okay too. But I think of that offense. And then more importantly, I think Ryan Tannehill, Deontay Foreman, and A.J. Brown, knowing that's where all that production goes in an offense no one's talking about outside of one player, A.J. Brown, also in a tremendous spot against the Texans. And like Osimo did with the David Montgomery chalk bring back, you can bring back 10 to 12 percent Brandon Cooks since, you know, that's where the production goes on the other side of the ball as well. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah. Oh, one other note on the on the Cardinals is that AJ Green is playing for, I believe, a yardage incentive that can get him. I think he needs to get like nine hundred, and he's not too far off. Gets him, if I remember, five hundred thousand dollars, which is not nothing for a player on a one year deal, if I remember correctly. So that would be interesting as well. Zach Ertz has thirty three targets in his past three games, just getting completely hammered because the way they were using DeAndre Hopkins was like, I don't want to, I don't want to disrespect the man by saying tight end like, but was closer to a tight end than he had been used really throughout his career. He was dropping his target share, dropping his ADOT and playing like a tight end, frankly, you know, closer to Larry Fitzgerald was in his twilight years than we had really liked. And Zach Ertz has just stepped up to take all those middle of the field targets. Sands, Chase Edmonds, Chase Con- James Conner also has a massive receiving role and he is just straight up good as a receiver. He has some of the best highlight catches of the year. So I totally agree that if you're, I think if you're playing Kyler Murray, if you're playing Josh Allen, you're already committing to a, I would say normally a highly duplicated style of lineup where you're going to have to build some weird one-off correlations, like play a very off secondary stack. A different way to also get unique is either of those ones simply playing the running back, both of whom are going to catch passes or at least have the potential. In the past four weeks, Devin Singletary has two games with seven and six targets. So I love that method, especially for playing in like even midfield, just not like the largest field because there's maybe some level of cannibalization of the volume of the touchdowns if you don't get it through the air but if you're playing in anything like really sub five to ten thousand uh entrance this week of all weeks i think is the perfect spot to stack running back and quarterback plus obviously still use a wide receiver or tight end it makes it a little easier to do too because to your point at the beginning of the show 
now that we think Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams are going to play a couple drives, maybe one drive, uh, Adams 22 yards shy of Jordy Nelson's single season franchise record in receiving yards. So that's probably the reason they're going to get out there for a drive. Adams is also 69 yards short of accumulating the third most receiving yards in franchise history over Sterling Sharp. So maybe they go for that. But again, that's not going to last more than a quarter. And so even those those little increments, those few reps they're going to get, make all the other cheap plays that some people may gravitate to, Juwan Renfrey, Equinemius St. Brown, worse plays. I still wonder what Amon Ross St. Brown will come in at. We have Josh Reynolds at questionable, Brock Wright at questionable, perhaps Jared Goff back. It sounds like he's going to play. And so, you know, with at least 11 targets in five consecutive games, I still think Amon Ross is an amazing play and a slate. I just wonder if he'll get lost in the shuffle or if he'll come in. People will still be overboard on him. Yeah, his price, I know, has continued to go up. Obviously, his price has continued to go up. He's played really well. It's only at 6,800, though. It's not like an incredible, you know, bump over players right ahead of him, like a a Terry McLaurin or a Brandon Cooks. And he's actually seeing just hyper elite volume, especially over someone like Terry McLaurin, whose offense is just atrocious. Whereas, like, inexplicably, the Lions, who are, like, by all accounts, not very good, managed to put up okay numbers on offense just because I think they know that they have one good receiver and they continue going to that player. Whereas, like, real randoms on Washington get targets when it should be like, if you throw 20 times, 15 of those go to Terry McLaurin. It seems like they understand that principle that Amon Ra is by far your best player. So whether it's Tim Boyle or Jared Goff, they get it to that guy. So it's really not that much. Maybe people get a little bit of sticker shock by it, but I do think the consecutive, 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 I mean, in his past five games, he has only dipped below 23 points once, and it was still a 15 point performance. I think he probably comes in maybe around 10%. I don't, that's probably perfectly middle of the road. I don't think it's sneaky, but I don't think he's like popular, popular. No need also like to go to, like you said, with the Bengals and Browns. That's another teams that you could think you would get cheap with. But again, like the Bengals missing multiple starting offensive linemen, all backups in there. Browns in a meaningless game, eliminated from the postseason already with banged up players. Like that one could actually, although the cheap options are available, that one could just get ugly in a hurry and be closer to a preseason contest. That's 13 to 10. And like those aren't the offenses and game scripts we're trying to target here. And so like even those spots where we're actually fine players we could pay down for that are going to play the reps, I just don't have any confidence in whatsoever. So that's why I keep looking back up and even seeing like someone like Jonathan Taylor who – I don't know if you've thought about this, but I, I don't even know how to or if I would pivot off him or leverage off him because, like, the answer would be Michael Pittman technically, but even Pittman jam targets is more of a floor option because those targets are inaccurate from Carson Wentz. So, like, I don't have faith in the touchdown equity whatsoever. Yeah, I, I would say... It's tough. I think if you don't play Jonathan Taylor, you are specifically just playing for the fact that, like, Jack Doyle or Mo Alley Cox catches an early touchdown. They kick a few field goals and you literally get by on Jonathan Taylor only scoring two and going for a hundred, which would be 22, 25. If he scores 28 or 29 points at his price, that's survivable. It's definitely not necessary to win tournaments and they are massive favorites over Jacksonville. It is very, very possible. And all they need is a win. And then they are playing right again next week. It's very possible this team clobbering Jacksonville is done midway through the third quarter because teams can do that versus Jacksonville. And obviously they have a much higher stakes game coming a week later once they've made the playoffs. So I don't know if you need to fade Jonathan Taylor as like Michael Pittman scores two touchdowns. You could just say like they get their 31 points on the board or something like that and immediately Mm -hmm. shut it down. So there are paths to failure, but I mean, Jonathan Taylor is an incredible play. I'm just saying that's an argument you could make that he doesn't get there and it's not the teammate pivot that is required. 
We may have already discussed it, but is there another conundrum, a decision point that you've been battling? Because that was mine that I pretty much opened the show with. No, I thought that was a pretty good one. To me, I think, to me, it's like, how far can you go with any individual game stack? Because there are almost no games that really feature two motivated offenses at all. It's, it's, and it's the ones you talked about. It's, mm-hmm. well, it's San Francisco, Los Angeles, and Arizona playing a seemingly motivated Seattle. They have had no mention of resting any of their starters. It seems like a swan song performance for either Russell Wilson or Pete Carroll. So I, I guess we're going to get like a full slate of games from them. Whereas a team like Washington, Ron Rivera said, like, we want to get some of our younger players' reps. And I think something like, you know, the Giants could probably do that as well. So I think to me, it's like, can you just load up on one offense? I think most slates, you are much benefited by bringing it back because you want a game that features back and forth and back and forth. And this is probably a unique slate in that there may not be many back and forth. I think one sneaky one, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, both teams will play as if they have a chance to make the playoffs. It, they really don't. They need Jacksonville to pull off the upset and then a non-tie still. And then I think Baltimore needs that plus a Browns loss, which versus Braden Allen, they could... They probably should go out and win. So neither team is really live for uh, for the playoffs, but they will be playing as such. And we saw last week, even though Ben Rosberg is so bad, it's incredible that he's still playing football. His play style is great for DraftKings PPR. So I think that's a really interesting game that you could be over the field on. Uh, I, I doubt it's that popular, but it's the only spot on the main slate where both teams are playing as if they are playing to get in the playoffs. They they won't probably, but it's the only spot where both teams are like supremely motivated, I think. Yeah. Oh, uh, San Francisco, Los Angeles. That was the other one. Another one that's really just an interesting thing to look at is the massive, massive discrepancy between the Cardinals game, which Daigle talked about. The two popular stacks are going to be, I imagine, Christian Kirk, Kyler Murray, and uh, Zach Ertz, if you're just saying two popular double stacks. And then Josh Allen, uh, I'd imagine Gabe Davis stepping into the Emmanuel Sanders role. I believe he's doubtful this week. And then Stephon Diggs, who Stephon Diggs, it's not a huge number, so it's not like it's going to you know, blow out if he reaches this incentive. But six catches does get him to some sort of like escalator part of his contract where he gets like a few hundred thousand this year and then more the next year as well. So I think a Allen, uh, Allen, Diggs, and I assume Gabe Davis, maybe people go to Beasley. Uh, I assume something like that will be the most popular stack with Kyler Murray being the second most popular because uh, Josh, well, because Josh Allen plays the Jets, frankly, is the answer. Uh, and because Kyler Murray and the Cardinals need a win and a Rams loss, Rams play at the same time. So they won't know if they can, like, if it matters or not. So they're motivated to win. Seahawks are playing as if, I assume they're playing as if they're motivated. Not a lot of teams have said they aren't playing as if they're motivated, but like, would it be surprising for some of these teams to, you know, pull like Kirk Cousins doesn't play the final quarter or whatever? No, it wouldn't shock me. So I would say, yeah, that's a pretty interesting conundrum we are also facing is that there are, there's one, there's one good game, frankly. There's really one good DFS game on the main slate Seattle versus Arizona, a 48 point total. Beyond that, Green Bay, Detroit features a high total that it's still Green Bay with a 24 implied team total. Man, it is. I don't even know if they get that because they're going to be playing with Jordan Love for, as Daigle said, I think we get two tune-up drives to make sure the offense is clicking and that's it. And then you go into Jordan Love, making everyone on Green Bay completely unviable. Yeah, this is uh, just a whole whole mess of of uh, games, teams that don't really matter. So the conundrum to me is finding spots where you can get a full three and a half quarters of a team that matters, which is why I love throwing the running back into the stack because just getting a team that 
Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed wants to put 35 on the board, which all teams do normally. Well, like Washington doesn't care. They want to see Jared Patterson or is Diami Brown healthy? I have no clue, frankly, if he's still healthy, but they want to see these backup type of guys. See what they have. Sammy Reyes, that like super athletic basketball tight end or something. I don't know. He's, you know, they just want to see their backups, frankly, in these games. Like I'm sure I'm, I'm unless we see Taylor Heineke blow the doors off, we're probably seeing Kyle Allen this game. Even Rivera said it two weeks ago, I believe that, uh, you know, at some point he expects to see Kyle Allen back on the field. So not a lot of teams that you're really super interested in. And I think it's interesting because ownership would sort of maybe throw things the other way. I've seen Antonio Gibson come up as a really popular play. It intuitively makes a ton of sense. Antonio Gibson at 5,800 on DK. I believe he's cheap across all sites, if I remember correctly. Like he could push 20 plus percent ownership because now he's not even on the injury report. They still have no JD McKissick. They weren't giving any work to Patterson or Jonathan Williams when it was just Antonio Gibson. He averaged 20 total touches per game, three contests without McKissick. But this would be the spot of all spots for them to reduce his bell cow role. So I think there are some fragile, I think there will be more fragile chalk on this slate than most any other slates, except for the slates where everyone tries to jam a cheap Jets player. Those slates are the best because you just don't play that guy. Chris Ostro also asked about the Bucks, and I bring up the Bucks because it reminds me of what you were just saying right now. Same for Nick Chubb, who would otherwise be in a tremendous spot. But these are almost the spots that I don't trust. Lots of incentives lingering around for Mike Evans, for Rob Gronkowski, but they're almost like unreachable. I believe you were you were running the milestone tracker at NBC Sports Edge. What is Evans? I just I just have the actual games that matter, like the the game tracker. If you go to Anthony Miko on Twitter, he has actual like player milestones on the article I have on the site. It's just which teams are like the entire team level motivation. I believe Evans is. I'll look it up to confirm. I believe Evans is what fifty seven yards shy. It's something like that. It's like sub sixty yards shy of eight straight thousand yard seasons. He like and and the thing is, he actually can get there. He'll get there in sixteen every single season because he missed a game this year. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sure it matters to him, but he also set the record last year at seven straight. Like he's not looking to beat anyone. He's just one-upping himself. I think the ones that matter are Gronk, which he's close to. I believe he's within reach of yardage and receptions. It's like seven or eight catches and like maybe 80 or 90 yards. He needs triple touchdowns to get the touchdown incentive. I wouldn't expect that. But we did see last year, I think you pointed this out, that Antonio Brown got like 15 targets or something insane in his final game in the regular season because he needed, I think it was only 11. 
to reach some sort of incentive. So I do think that they will probably, and Bruce Arians has said that they're playing their starters. I would still doubt that we get four quarters of their starters, but do we get three? And on this slate is three Tom Brady starts with incentives for his, he has incentives too, but I don't think he's that close to any of them or he's already passed them one or the other. Yeah, I think that's still a very interesting spot. And they're going to like, they're going to project unless you're like going into the projections and manually downgrading them to three quarters of a game. They're going to project really well in terms of their projection versus their ownership compared to Josh Allen versus his ownership. And that's always the debate we have. We have both of these always pass heavy teams with great quarterbacks and good pass catchers. And as always, do we play Josh Allen? Do we play Tom Brady? I usually just say whichever one's lower owned. I know who's going to be lower owned this week. It's going to be Brady. And that is the one situation where I would take a chance on. I don't even know if the words trust is what I'm using, but I would absolutely yeah. be more confident if you're telling me to like play a fringe, play an actual like lottery ticket here. It would be stacking the Bucks offense, knowing where the ball is going to go, especially because like Mike Evans, not commanding a high target share all year because he plays weekly with Antonio Brandon, Chris Godwin, like no more now it's just Mike Evans. So like we, we haven't seen like a Mike Evans, 35% target share, and that could very well happen. So I think like Brady Gronk Evans, pretty simple, maybe Cyril Grayson does squeeze in for some production, but overall, like mm-hmm. I do think, yeah, those three in particular are tremendous options in this slate. And, and in that case, you can still play Devin Singletary for the touchdown leverage over Josh Allen. So yeah, I like that call a lot, Chris. And that's kind of where my head was at too. What about, I know you mentioned some of your other fades. Is there a particular like offense or a situation or a player you think will come in heavily rostered, just given the the lay of the land that you're going to be off of and fade this week? Yeah, I mentioned it, Antonio Gibson. Uh, he's like a good projected play, but the thing is there are not, it's not like he is alone in this complete void zone of salary. He just is probably the highest by a point or two in terms of his projection. But Ron Rivera said they want to get their younger players some run. Jared Patterson looked good last week, and the team total is not particularly high. It's 22 and a half. You look at Sony Michelle, 6,000 playing. If you assume Cam Akers doesn't get much run, which I think is fair, although maybe there's some room for error in that. But if you assume he still plays a similar role as he did last week and the week before that, I mean, look at his carry totals, 20, 18, 27, 19, and then 11 targets in his past three games. He was up until this point playing a three down role. His offense has a two point higher implied team total, and he's $200 more than Antonio Gibson. I don't see why you wouldn't play Michelle over Gibson. Elijah Mitchell, I believe is 6K as well. He is a two point lower implied team total, but his team is just better at running the football. And is a, I still think probably a better overall offense in terms of the ceiling they provide for a player like Elijah Mitchell. So to me, Antonio Gibson, not only is he fragile, but I think even if you told me that this was a middle of the season game where he was going to get, you know, the normal run, I'm not entirely sure. I, I wouldn't just play Sony Michelle over him. And no matter what happens with Gibson, I will play Washington defense against the Giants no matter what, because I'm tired. <laughs> I already talked about it last week. I'm tired of getting burned <laughs> by the most obvious defense to play every single week. Okay, it's 30%. I'm playing Washington against Jake Fromm, since that's who it's going to be, since Mike Glennon has already been rolled out. What are some of the players you are going to come in higher over the field whether it be large field tournaments or smaller right now, I've already talked about a lot of them. Like right now it's for me, it is Devin Singletary. I still think a tremendous spot. The third snow game that Josh Allen, no, the fourth snow game Josh Hmm. Allen will play this year. And then the other three, he's been bad. The first Patriots game, 
Colts and then just last week, most recently the Falcons game, where it was forcing decisions. That was not like fluke throws, fluke interceptions. Those were bad throws. And so I'm going to look to get the touchdown equity with Devin Singletary yet again. And then I already talked about A.J. Brown, who I think will be heavily rostered, but I still think will sneak somewhat by and not be like top five among all wide receivers, in particular on DraftKings where he's more expensive, when I think he should be, especially in a good bounce back spot, since they just recently played Miami. We talked about how he was a you know poor play there in such a tough matchup, but now significantly better matchup. So I like him a lot. And then we already talked about, and this is probably a sneaky stack as well, going overweight on the Cardinals offense, like onslaught situation. Yeah, so one, well, speaking of the Cardinals offense, James Conner playing without Chase Edmonds just feels like a complete jam. I really hope he goes through the entire week as questionable. I think he is, he's going to go into the game as questionable, right? He was still limited today, I'd imagine. Yeah, he was, he was limited all week, listed questionable. Even if he comes in with a Schefter tweet Saturday night saying he's in, would you, do you think like he's going to get up to like, 30%? 30%? I would think not, especially in like the mid and low stakes. When people are playing closely adhering to projections in, you know, the the 333 or whatever, something like that. Yeah, maybe he does. But there are a lot of good, a lot of solid values. I don't think there's anything that's a complete smash. That's why I'm just going to keep going for the lower owned ones. I don't think he comes in as incredibly popular looking at ownership projections right now. He's not, but also I think he will get steamed going into a very obvious smash spot against a Seattle team that like they've just been terrible at like establishing time and possession. Their opponents run, I think, the most plays. In the NFL this year and James Conner mm-hmm. is just complete like his price is so off for his peak obviously we have no clue if he's actually limited with this heel injury they could actually give one of their backups like a Jonathan Ward or Eno Benjamin actual run but they were never doing that when they had a healthy James Conner playing at a, a really good spot so I would just go well over the field on him Deonta Foreman is really I don't think he's that good but his role is awesome at least between the tackles he's sort of like if yeah. Jeff Wilson was good and played against Houston, we were never that interested in Jeff Wilson as a player. But when he steps into the Elijah Mitchell role just as a rusher, we were playing him in cash every week. So I, I think mm-hmm. you take that for Deonta Foreman and you say the matchup is as good as it ever possibly gets because he plays Houston, who gives up, I believe, bottom five or six in rushing yards per game allowed because they face the second highest run rate in the league. So to me, Deonta Foreman, and you could, like you said, even include him in part of your Tannehill stack. I think that's more likely to simply work out in the way that the Seattle stack worked last week or Mac Jones plus one of the running backs, you're not getting much, if any, correlation in terms of on any individual play. Deontay Foreman has no catches over the past two weeks. Kind of what you expect from someone as well, like maybe Rashad Penny. He's probably not catching a touchdown, but if the offense drops 50, which Houston is no stranger to giving up a lot of points, it doesn't matter. So I really like Foreman, really like Connor. To me, uh, those are both Elijah Mitchell, kind of easy pivots over someone like Antonio Gibson, over David Montgomery, who probably plays a slightly better role. But I mean, his offense has a sub-20 implied team total, and he's nearly 7K on DraftKings. Also, and t- you talk about Sony Michelle. I think the Rams' passing attack is good, most importantly because we know where to go with them. Cooper Cup needs 136 receiving yards, a number he's exceeded twice this year, which seems like more, honestly. But he's only exceeded the number twice to break the single-season record for receiving yards. Both teams playing to win since the Rams are playing for home field advantage in the first round and the 49ers are playing to clinch a playoff berth. So with the COVID cluster that's occurring in the 49ers secondary right now, I think it is a pretty good spot to, you know, bounce back on the Rams passing attack here since 
Stafford has been seemingly poor. He's really just been poor in the first half. Like he needs to open halves better. You know, the fourth, the second half, he continues getting there. Even last week, like for making atrocious decisions, like if you look at the box score, he's still quietly closed with over 300 yards, the DraftKings bonus and multiple touchdowns. So yeah, I, mm-hmm. I think Stafford actually will be one of those ones that's like five to 7% when he has as much ceiling as like the second or third highest quarterback in the slate. He has as much ceiling as Brady and you know he's not going to get benched. So I do like the Rams passing game as well, especially because as we mentioned, talking about getting concerted target trees, not knowing what they're going to do, but at least knowing if they go off, we know who goes off. Ben Jefferson, season low, 31 snaps last week. So we saw the rise of the Cooper Cup, Odell Beckham tandem. So that's why I think it's, yeah, very interesting. Yeah, I do think both them and the Tampa Bay stacks are like, I'm at this point, I'm almost talking myself into just playing the running backs, James Conner and Devin Singletary as the touchdown leverage and going with what will be like, has been the entire year, a similar proposition where you can get, 350 yards and four passing touchdowns from either Matthew Stafford or Tom Brady. And the target tree is like, I'm not playing Tyler Higby. I'm probably not playing Van Jefferson. Now that I know his, like you said, his role is decreased. That's two players to throw to. And for Brady, it's two players. Like if Cyril Grayson burns me, that's fine. I'm playing Gronk and I'm playing Evans and that's about it. So condensed target trees on hyper elite passing attacks. And they're like, they're going to be so much less owned in my opinion than the Kyler and specifically Josh Allen. And those teams now both have very condensed running back rooms where any of those players can score multiple touchdowns. James Conner is, is like infinite, infamously early in the year. We just thought he was bad in scoring touchdowns. Now he's actually good in scoring touchdowns. So I really like that. I think that's, uh, I was thinking about going like offensive onslaught. Maybe I still play some offensive onslaught of Cardinals of Bills. But I think I'm more and more, you and myself are talking me into playing either Tampa Bay, you know, Stafford or something like that. And then just trying to steal the touchdowns with the bell cow running backs that are now in Arizona and uh, Buffalo. You know, and Taysom Hill also a good play. But if I play Taysom Hill, this is probably more for sneaky stacks. I'm going to, I think you should drag Marquez Callaway along with him to make sure you not only get unique exposure to Taysom Hill, but also like Callaway's been good. Uh, The past two starts with Hill, Callaway has recorded 19 total targets as the team's leading receiver. Tracon Smith will be back, but in his first game back off the COVID list, I still wonder if he even matters. So I, I think like everyone will mm-hmm. see that, that no one will play Callaway, even though they are interested in Hill and bringing those two together is how we get unique exposure towards him. Moving on, unless you have some other players that you think you're definitely going to play, what about some of your favorite sneaky stacks as you go through this slate? I don't, I don't want to play either of like Ben Rosberg or Tyler Huntley, but I think that game has a, a lot of intrigue. I, I, I don't think I can bring myself to play Ben Rosberg. I can bring myself to play Tyler Huntley and probably Mark Andrews, but even even Marquise Brown, who like like him, DJ Moore, a few other players are just like targets, 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 and they never freaking get there. And it's the most insufferable thing possible because like I'm sure like if you look at like ETRs, Josh Hermsmeyer's air guards by low, these are the type of players that pop up again and again and again, and they don't hit. And it's very frustrating, but the usage is elite. And we know that usage is what's going to give us fantasy points in the long run. So looking at a team like, you know, something like a Marquise Brown, Tyler Huntley stack and the run back options are quite obvious. You know, just Deontay Johnson is back. His COVID stay was like three days, which makes it awful to write content or create content for admittedly Deontay. So if you're listening next time, just give us a heads up. Say like, I'm probably coming back because having written up the value plays of Ray Ray McLeod or something, it's definitely frustrating, but even if I don't think Ben Rausberger is good and he can have a ceiling game, his players can have ceiling games because we like we saw they can literally throw 50 times in a game. And on DraftKings, it doesn't matter if you're averaging as a Deontay Johnson 
four yards a target or 12 if you're getting 15 targets. So I like that game. I can't bring myself probably to play it from the Ben Roethlisberger side, but I can from the Huntley side because he's averaging like 50 yards per game and starts if you include, even if not, but if you were to include that uh, 86% snap game that I think Lamar left pretty early as well. So I like Huntley a lot as well. Definitely going to be under 5%, especially after poor performance. And we know we're not worried about the Steelers' defense whatsoever. I don't even know if I would worry about bringing him back with anyone. Um, it would still be Huntley, you know, directly to Mark Andrews. And if you want to, you could go Deontay Johnson. You could try to get Chase Claypool. Claypool now, his route participation has increased in three consecutive games progressively so much so that he ran a route quietly on 88% of Ben Rossberger's dropbacks this past week, which was his highest rate since week eight. But even in doing that, you know what you're dealing with. You have to have efficiency because the targets are not good. Pro football focus says it, mm-hmm. or I say it when we watch Ben Rossberger throw. So like you're literally just banking on luck and there's nothing wrong with that. If you want to play him in hopes of like running him back in a unique way, don't mind it at all, but just know what you're getting into. And so, yeah, I, I like Huntley and I like Mark Andrews a lot harder Argument to make on Fandle since Andrews is 8,700, which is like crazy. Last week was 8,500, I believe. Crazy for a tight end. Like they never usually get that insane there, especially when they continue keeping Zach Ertz like just under or just over 6K, knowing that Zach Ertz is still just going to get pelted targets, even though his ceiling is clearly not nearly as high as George Kittle's or Mark Andrews. But yeah, I like Huntley and uh, Mark Andrews a lot as well. I think for Seattle onslaughts, like it could be the passing game, but Oh, no, I'm sorry. Cardinals on slots. I also think, though, you could go go along with Rashad Penny. I bet he still comes in severely under-rostered in this slate. And, like, he's still an awesome start. You know, on the surface, the Cardinals have stopped the run over the last two weeks, but you can poke holes in that those performances because they stuffed Jonathan Taylor without three offensive line starters. And then this past week, Ezekiel and Tony Pollard clearly injured. But before that, Craig Reynolds went over 100. David Montgomery totaled 140 in a TD. And so now Alex Collins on injured reserve and out for the year. Like, it's all going to be Rashad Penny. And so I could easily see him just exploding and no one playing him. So, yeah, I, I kind of like bringing Rashad Penny along as well. You mentioned it. But, yeah, Tyler Huntley, Mark Andrews. I don't even know if I need to add a third one. I, I just think Tyler Huntley, he'll be – how expensive no. Mark Andrews is in a slate – that everyone's trying to get Cooper Cup or Jonathan Taylor for the second week in a row, I would imagine like Mark Andrews will be under roster just because of his price. So it doesn't matter if he has the highest ceiling of all tight ends. I think he, he and Tyler Huntley come in easily like under 5%. So the way that works out naturally makes him makes them amazing plays in a terrific spot. Yeah, and with double stacking, if you were Tyler or Huntley, I, I just... I can't really imagine how you get there because you are playing Tyler Huntley because you think he can probably put up 50 and a a touchdown on the ground alone. He's averaging, I think it's 50 and half a touchdown in his four starts slash one pseudo start. So you were expecting to get some rushing production from him. He's only, I believe, 5,700, whereas Mark Andrews is 75. The next logical option is Marquise Brown. How much passing production do you need to get from Tyler Huntley for 75 Mark Andrews and 59 Marquise Brown to get there? You're asking for like a 300 plus and three touchdown performance, assuming those aren't the only two players to catch a pass on the team. So I think you're probably at that point giving up a lot of ceiling by double stacking two very expensive uh, pass catchers, at least one very expensive pass catcher and Marquise Brown still reasonably priced. So I would only single stack him. You don't have to run it back. I'd consider it Ray room McLeod 3,800 has basically moved into like a pretty consistent role. Whenever they're playing three wide, he's out there only 38 I believe he's averaging seven targets over his past four games. 
cheapest way to run back and no one's going to play him. I was really interested when they didn't have Deontay Johnson, but he's back. Although we've seen players, I don't know how severe Deontay Johnson's three-day stay on the COVID list is, but consistently players have come back to play a very reduced role. It happened with Tyree Kill, Alexander Madison, Amari Cooper, Tyler Lockett, and I believe Hill and Lockett both said that they were like gas. They just couldn't play, but they were still out. Okay, having said that, this has been a pretty quick show, actually. So let's just hit on a... There's like games you just don't have to talk that's, about. Don't that, I guess that's you, why it's quicker. You yeah. can't play anyone from Green Bay because you're getting three quarters of probably a bad team. You can't play anyone from the Bengals because you are getting all Brandon Allen snaps. And beyond that, it's going to be, I don't even know who, like Auden Tate or something. I don't know. So there's like a bunch of teams that just uh, don't make a lot of sense to play. I think the Washington passing attack shouldn't be played. The Giants are terrible. Oh, lots of bad plays in this league. Okay, let's, uh, let's just go ahead and move on to loose notes because I have quite a few of them. So we'll hit on everything we need to around that. Let's start with, because we talked about the Rams passing attack or Sonny Michelle touchdown leverage. I would imagine Sonny Michelle will come in under rostered because of Cam Akers being active, even though we don't think Cam Akers handles any more than four touches, like max. Sonny Michelle still a good touchdown option. More importantly, Sonny Michelle also being involved at, like Daryl Henderson was previously, these past two games, nine targets. That's what was missing from Sonny Michelle, but now they're actually using him like that too. So I think you could even go like a Stafford, Michelle, and Cup if you wanted to. But in talking about all that, we didn't talk about the 49ers offense. Jimmy Garoppolo was awesome against the Rams this pe- earlier this year when he started. Jimmy Garoppolo unlocked George Kittle for ceiling games for a whole month. And now we have Jimmy Garoppolo in another awesome spot against the Rams indoors uh, with George Kittle back. And I, I think no one's talking about it because everyone like loved Lance. No one wants to like get on a Garoppolo led offense when he was leading the league in yards per attempt still is, I believe at eight and a half clearly offensive play calling base, but nonetheless, like he's been awesome. So like George Kittle, 49ers offense, any interest there? Yeah, I really think that is a, I actually was going to lean towards Debo because I think at the price range, Debo too, Debo's going to be 2%. That's what, yeah, 2% Debo, especially it does seem like, I don't even want to say he's playing more of a receiver role because he still has a decent amount of carries, I believe 12 carries his past two games, but he also has his most targeted games last week and the week before he saw more targets in both than he did since like week nine, since they lost Elijah Mitchell and had to start playing him at running back. So I'm not sure the running back role is entirely gone, which like, Frankly, that's just kind of what I want. I don't want him to play running back, like $8,500 running back, playing also some wide receiver. Doesn't sound great. Just give me weeks one through eight, highest whopper in the league, Debo Samuel, and I'll be very pleased. And we might be getting back towards that. He's expensive at $8,500, $1,200 more, and you get to Cooper Cup. But does he have a ceiling that is on par with Cooper Cup? Probably close. I, I think it's fair to argue that Cup has the best ceiling, but does he have one that is on par with pretty much anyone else? Like a Justin Jefferson, a Stefan Diggs, he's probably higher ceiling than Stefan Diggs. I'd say, well, especially, especially because we're talking about Debo without Lance's rushing now taking away from those carries. So like we go back to Debo being used both as a receiver and a running back. And so like the ceiling is there. Yes. In both of those positions. And so, yeah, like, of course he has, he has a, you know, maybe not as high as Cooper Cup, but yeah. And the fact that like no one's going to play both of them and no one's probably going to choose Debo over Cup. And so you could just find a way to get unique in choosing Debo over Cup and then exposing yourself to the rest of the Rams offense instead. Yeah, that's my thesis on it is at 10 to 15% lower ownership Debo versus Cup and also 1200 discount. It's not a crazy discount. You're definitely making in terms of overall, just like a cash game points per dollar projection a minus EV pick going from cup to Samuel, but we're not looking to make just the median projection, the best in our lineups. We want to find, you know, especially like really unique ceiling plays that people aren't going to be on. And I think we'll get three or 4% 
Debo. He hasn't had like a, you know, he's had like one really explosive game in the past two months, came two weeks ago when he was finally playing a lot of receiver, 11 targets two weeks mm -hmm. ago. So to me, Debo, certainly Kittle. I was I was just looking towards Debo. I think Kittle's perfectly fine as well, though. I would think probably not the most popular because people are going to be looking to pay up for your Jonathan Taylors, your Cooper Cups. Jonathan Taylor just in such a smash spot. Cooper Cup, to be fair, really good spot as well. Yeah, where do you lean? We had the same conversation last week. Where do you lean Cup versus Taylor, given that it's probably difficult to fit both in? I think I lean Cup if we get Connor because, again, we, we ask what happens if we go away from this player? Like, why are we going away from this player? What can we allocate with that salary? Where else do we go? And if we get Connor, I think there are good enough backs because what we're fading is 100 yards and two touchdowns. Now, if, if Taylor blows up and goes for like four, like that's game over. But yeah. 100 yards and two touchdowns, I think you could- You can survive. I yeah. think you could fade that. I think, I think there are enough cheap options getting all the touches like Devin Singletary, Deontay Foreman, James Conner, just to name three, where I don't mind if I get those three. I don't mind going away from Taylor and choosing two of three or going all three, one in my flex spot. So I actually don't mind fading Taylor if Connor opens up the slate a little more for running backs. Yeah, I think that's perfectly fine. I'd even be fine playing without both of them because it wasn't it was literally last week. We had the conversation and then both of them have solid but not dominant games. And their prices became prohibitive. Like you just wanted to fit a lot of that. Like it's just to, to play both though. The only thing is it's hard unless, I mean, unless you have some really cheap options here for us that like, you know, that's what I was saying is last week, both of them had solid, but not great games. You didn't want either. So I think they were both like 20 to 30 points, but at their prices, you can certainly survive. And you were getting, as you pointed out, you were getting your 25 or six point Devin Singletary game. You got your 30 some point Rashad Penny game. You don't need, Rashad Penny or Devin Singletary, Sony Michelle to match Jonathan Taylor's score, you need him to come within four or five and use the salary savings smart elsewhere. And the same can be said for Cooper Cup as well. So I totally think that you don't, it's not a one or the other. I framed it that way just out of curiosity, but you can also just not play either and hope both go for between 20 and 30 realistically. As Permar points out, Bears, Vikings, fourth fastest pace game, 50 point upside game, according to him. And I just want to ask in particular about chalk Justin Jefferson. Uh, what are your thoughts there? Because Justin Jefferson, I would imagine, is probably going to be, given his ceiling and salary, higher roster than Cooper Cup. Yeah, I'm looking at uh, ownership projection right now, and he is the top owned wide receiver. So yeah, it would look uh, it would look to be the case. I was curious if like a Dalvin Cook pivot would be viable, and I mean he is going to be less popular, I think, but it also looks like he'll be particularly popular. It is interesting. Do you think there's any chance this team doesn't get a full four quarters out of their starters? Like we saw, I believe it was last year that the Cardinals were eliminated from the playoffs. They're like eight and eight or whatever. They were going to be eight and eight. And they pulled Kyler Murray late in the game, but he only got like three quarters in. There's absolutely nothing for this team to play for. The only thing is like Zimmer doesn't seem like a late pull kind of guy, but you know, do you think there's any concern for this team not having literally anything to play for? I mean, they, they were getting blown out so much so they put in Kellen Mond and then he benched Kellen Mond after one drive at the end of that game. So like even in a blowout, he took, out his third string quarterback and put back in his backup quarterback. <laughs> so like, he's not the type of guy that's going to bench anyone. He's also like, they're definitely go, getting fired. I think. Absolutely. He's definitely getting fired and they're going to go out swinging yeah. knowing it's his last game, knowing it could be Kirk Cousins last game with the Vikings. So I don't, ex I don't know what's going to happen, but I don't expect them to get benched. Yeah. This could all. be, the problem is it's very expensive and Dalvin cook isn't Christian McCaffrey at his price. You'd kind of need him to be as a pass catcher. I mean, he has two, 
games, three games with over five targets this year. So, or th three games with five or more, I think actually. He's not an elite receiver, but this is another spot where if you believe they play full four quarters against a pretty lame duck Chicago defense, I believe they're also four point favorites, solid implied team total. You could go, you could go Justin Jefferson, Dalvin Cook, and or not Kirk Cousins. Like there's very, the way this team condenses, you could capture four touchdowns between those two skill position players. I think I would choose Cook over Justin Jefferson just because he's less popular and 7,800 Dalvin Cook seems really enticing to me. Not that Justin Jefferson isn't, but he's actually cheaper than Justin Jefferson and less popular. I think I would, if again, you know, you can play both. I, you know, I make this dichotomy just for the interest of conversation. I would take Dalvin Cook over Justin Jefferson this week. What about David Montgomery on the other side? Because he's going to be 20 plus percent again. I feel like I'd rather play Dalvin Cook and Vikings defense. But like, like Bears could just be terrible. Like this, we saw like so many weeks where James Robinson, David Montgomery, David Montgomery really picked it up towards the end of the year, like he did last year. You know, even like Antonio Gibson's or like any of these bad backup running, not backup, but like me mediocre running backs, bad offenses, they can have elite usage and just not get there because their offense can't put any points on the board. And that shouldn't be that surprising. At his price, maybe 6,800, as I said earlier, you need a really strong game from David Montgomery. I'd rather just play Dalvin Cook, Minnesota defense and hope that the uh, what it'll be Andy Dalton-led, I believe, Chicago Bears offense. Who could imagine Andy, Andy Dalton offense not going well? I don't know. I, I could think of a few times. Any interest in DJ Moore, assuming Robbie Anderson gets ruled out, because then, so because then literally there is no one else. 100% target share. Shai Smith on the COVID list. Harris Marshall and injured reserve. They're, they're Shy Smith on the COVID list. We've really reached a deep, dark point. They would literally be playing the guys they call up from the practice squad on Saturday around DJ Moore against the Bucks. So that's like the guy you slide in at 3% with 100% target share and hope for the best. Even with 100% target share, could do nothing from Sam Darnold. But any interest there? Yeah, I believe DJ Moore has gone double-digit targets in three of his past four games. Might be four of his past five. I don't think he's top 60 yards. I just don't care. It's so yeah. many targets. It's like, imagine if Jamison Crowder was talented. How much Jamison Crowder we'd be playing. And he is the perfect run back to, you know, your Tampa Bay stacks. He's also perfect as a one-off. And, like, his usage is up there with the best of any players. And that's before no Robbie Anderson. Apparently no Shai Smith. Like, I know who Shai Smith is, but did, did I know he was not going to play this game? Admittedly, no, I didn't. <laughs> None of these players and an offense that should pass the ball more. Will they do it efficiently? Efficiently? No, not at all with Sam Darnold. But the fact that they're going to Sam Darnold this game, I don't think we see much of any Cam Newton. Uh, they're not like there's no reason for them to see Cam Newton. We know what they are. Man, count me in for 15, 15 DJ Moore targets and to just be brutally disappointed in them. On that same note, Jameson Crowder. Let's say he comes back. We already know Braxton Berrios ruled out. Corey Davis ruled out. Elijah Moore is available to be active. I don't think he's going to play. And so if it's... There was a quote that was like, he's trending in the wrong okay. direction anyways. So let's say Jameson Crowder is the only Jets receiver, you know, as a pay down option. What about that? Or have you already tried that and you're done with that? Uh, I mean, if he's not popular, let me see. I'll pull up some ownership. I don't think he'll be that popular because we've got, we've literally gotten burned on it. The first time we had Jameson Crowder in cash, he got out targeted by Braxton Berrios. But like you said, we have no Braxton Berrios. He's 4,600, so it's not nothing, but it does seem like a lot of targets. And I made the same argument for DJ Moore. It would feel difficult to not make that argument for Jameson Crowder. Admittedly, Crowder is not as good as DJ Moore. You're in for all the targets, though. If he's not that popular, I, I buy unpopular volume. If he's like, you know, the, if he's a cash game lock, perfect time to fade a Jets receiver. If he's not a lock for cash games, though, and I don't think he would be because he's not 
so cheap. Braxton Berrios was like a good cash game play two weeks ago, even last week, I think. He was like 37 and 3,500. You're actually paying a somewhat existing price <laughs> for 40, what did I say? 4,800, 4,600. Jameson Crowder. Yeah, he's especially be a good skinny stack with my Devin Singletary, some correlation there. So what about the Patriots offense? Because a good spot in particular on the ground against the Dolphins. We just saw the Titans take it to them with Deontay Foreman. Having said that, I, I can't get there right now since Damon Harris is questionable. Probably will play with Ramondre Stevenson. We've seen them split carries whenever they're together. You know, it's easy, really easy to get there. If Damon Harris is ruled out, you just play Ramondre Stevenson and don't ask questions. But if they're together, are you interested at all in the Patriots offense? Yeah, this is difficult because I feel, I mean, I know if you look at projections, you will never get either of them projecting that well. They, even when they are 15 point favorites, someone like David Montgomery, who plays on a bad offense, but gets all the carries, all the targets will always project better than a Damian Harris than a Ramondre. And those players probably have higher ceilings than Dave Montgomery, or at least a same ceiling at a very low ownership relative to Montgomery. I still feel like I play close enough to what the projections would say on someone like Damian Harris that I probably don't get to get to him. That might just be a leak in my game, not sort of recognizing the discrepancy between his 35 point ceiling and his median projection, which will be quite poor. So I don't think I'll get to them. Although I totally admit that that could just be poor play on my part. Any thoughts what to do around who I believe will be the cheap chalk tight end this week, John Bates. Do you have any other favorite cheap tight end to go to, or is it a week where you're looking to pay up since we've discussed the ceilings of George Kittle, Mark Andrews, and Rob Gronkowski. I'm, I'm not playing not playing John Bates. I can tell you, I can tell you that much. Like, like I, I just, it's so hard to imagine the scenario where John Bates goes out and crushes you. Like, I can totally see him going out and being a very good points per dollar ga- game. He makes the cash game work. But like, does John Bates have, you know, seven for 90 and a touchdown in him? I just, I, I find myself so skeptical of that. We hardly saw that with Logan Thomas and with Ricky Seals Jones, let alone the third guy, John Bates. So I, I would say, uh, no, I'm not playing the cheap chalk tight end. I just, I, I, I will fade the cheap. He's going to get a lot of snaps tight end almost every single week. We talked about if James Conner plays in that situation, like I would definitely be overweight on James Conner. On a sa- in a similar situation, what if, for whatever reason, surprisingly, Garoppolo's ruled out with a Schefter tweet Saturday? What are we doing with Trey Lance? How much is Trey Lance? I can't imagine they got him priced up that much. Uh, Trey Lance on DraftKings is 55. I probably still wouldn't play him. I would imagine once again he gets quite popular. Last week he had a perfectly fine game, put up uh, 20 points. Actually, that was more than that. Put up 20 points. But he was, I mean, in the uh, in the spy, the $100 contest on DraftKings, he was... 37% owned, like a 37% owned quarterback. All of the other good quarterbacks immediately become plus EV when you know that there is 30%, 37% of the ownership wiped off the board. Does he reach that insane level? No, because he's $1,000 more or whatever. But does he reach 15 to 20? Yeah, and I'm typically not playing the 15 to 20% quarterback anyways. I think the other way to go would just be play, uh, what is it, Rams defense there because he still doesn't look particularly good in terms of his chances of winning a football game without mistakes. He can totally get there from a fantasy perspective and he can even win games, obviously, but he looks very much capable of imploding. So I'd probably be more likely to play the defense against him as the hyper leverage. I don't know if I'd play defense, but I think I'd be higher if Lance is ruled in and starting. I think I'd get more interested in Taysom Hill, who right now I think was like around 15%, but I bet the, the field loses him 
if they yes. can play Trey Lance. And so um, I will get really interested in Taysom Hill if we get Trey Lance news overnight. Taysom Hill, 700 more on DraftKings, and you can bring along Alvin Kamara, especially if Mark Ingram, who was DNP on Thursday and Friday, is ruled out. Alvin Kamara, 18 of 19 running back carries this past game without Ingram and a significantly higher ceiling in a faster, much better spot against the Falcons as opposed to a Panthers defense that even in being injured, that's the one thing they continue to do every week is is play good defense. So, yeah, I, I like Taysom, Kamara, Marcus Callaway a lot more if the field is going to be on Lance instead. That's where I would kind of lean. And then, finally, for the Saturday slate, since we made it all the way to the end, nice. The only the only thing I have, and I don't know if everyone gets to this. I guess it probably maybe everyone will get to this. The only thing I have is just five slotting the Chiefs. Like I don't know what else to do. Uh, so like I just have everyone with Patrick Mahomes, and then I have the unique Cowboys players. I think probably more people will play Cedric Wilson, but I think Malik Turner is a really good play. And then Corey Clement, obviously, I think a lot of people play, but I think he's still a good play. And then, um, you know, I don't want to fade Kenneth Gainwell. So do you have any thoughts, like, on unique ways to approach the Saturday slate? Yeah, so I do think – I mean, I think you just got to play some really dumb plays, honestly. Like, I think you just have to go for, like, some Quez Watkins catches a long one or Cortland Sutton in a terrible spot because anytime he has receiving competition for him, he hasn't done well. But like, I feel like maybe Jerry Judy is the better answer because maybe he isn't even that popular. But something like those players who we see time and time again, like there will be some weird player who pops up for the two game or three game type of slates that scores a really uh, long touchdown, something like that. I think Zay Jones did it once, stuff like that. Those players will come up and have good games. I think it's about getting on them more than it is like, do I play 4,100 bell cow running back kenneth gainwell or do i fade him as leverage i think it's more about finding the really really sort of oddball plays to me i don't know there's some like like i said i think denver sort of interesting another spot where i don't they don't have any reason to play but they're also probably just going to play anyways because it seems like fangia is on the outs now so drew lock probably playing for a backup mm -hmm. i've seen it floated that he could be playing for a starter job next year Good luck. I doubt it. Uh, I, I hope not. So, but they do seem like an offense that's going to play as if it's any other week 12 game or whatever. So Jerry Judy, 5,100, kind of a, a target magnet who never does anything with it. He'd be fine. What's, what's funny is like, I hear you. I think that's what's going to happen though, is that everyone's going to say, well, everyone's playing this side. No one's playing this side. And then that other side, like the Broncos gets somewhat too popular, even for a two game slate. And it just turns out it's like every week. It's just a rerun where no one gets anywhere. Like the Broncos just don't do anything still because they're the Broncos or Drew Locke. And so like I worry that a lot of people end up maybe not like not even not a lot, not 10% or so. But like I think there's going to be enough like people getting kind of unique, trying to get unique and playing Broncos players. And it just doesn't matter because it's the Broncos. Yeah, we also just like are, I so I guess we're it's a dumb slate. I, I, I hate that they put the backups like the cheap backups should be on Sunday, yep. should not be on a two-game slate. I guess I'm the idiot for playing it, but... Oh, I'm playing it. Uh, so we I'm still don't it. have any confirmation. I, I was not on news today, but I kept up with the news. We don't have any confirmation on Eagle starters, do we? No, but COVID list, awesome. COVID list guy is still on COVID list. Jalen Hurts practiced in full. I just don't... There's no, there's no need to play him. I can't imagine they'll play. And like Cowboys going through a COVID cluster, so maybe Dak and Zeke go out there for a little bit, but... I mean, if you play, and I'm not putting it past them, it's possible. But if you play your starters, like without Tyron Smith, without Micah Parsons, without Trevon Diggs, like if they're just out there, like why? 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 Like 
it'd be ridiculous. And I, again, I'm not putting it past them. I've seen that organization do some astonishing things, but I cannot imagine <laughs> Zeke and Dak play long, if at all. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and McCarthy talked about like he uh, he was like, we're playing, we're going to play to win this game. And I, I just completely doubt that. I mean, the, the problem is like, it's like I talked about with the Packers. Sure, they're, uh, I don't even know who their third running back is. Like, I don't know, Kylan Hill or something? No, Patrick Taylor. Oh, Patrick Taylor. Yeah. Pop Taylor. Yeah, if, uh, if, if Patrick Taylor ends up playing three quarters, like he's playing three quarters of an offense that is led by Jordan Love. They're probably not going to be very good. I get the same vibe from, you know, the, the Cowboys where like, do I want to play their fourth or fifth wide receiver? Probably not because the only reason they get on the field is because Dak has also been pulled. So I think that is a that's a game that like probably someone will win tournaments finding the right awful plays from. Uh, it's difficult to say who, and I, I really don't think we get much of the Eagles either because one they're probably going to lose anyways. They are already starting the game on a lot of backups, but because of the COVID situation and Doug Peterson or Doug Peterson Nick Sirianni he's even said like he has been much more cagey as I just complained about with his starting situation he's like oh yeah I'm not sure we're gonna play the starters coaches who say we're playing the starters don't actually play their starters more than two drives coaches who say I don't know if we're playing the starters like those guys aren't getting much run and finally to your point bravado since you asked here I actually given how well golf played in the three games prior to being on the COVID list and out last week I don't think golf is like a bad large large field guy like a $9 slant, a $3 mm -hmm. first down, you know, the cheaper $20 milli. I don't think golf is actually a, a terrible large field option, especially since you know where the ball is going to go pretty much only to a Monrose Brown. So not a bad thought. But with that, that is the week 18 main slate. Hopefully nothing happens too crazily on Saturday leading for other choices. But right now, I guess we're really just sitting on any more perhaps Bucks tea leaves and the James Conner news and Trey Lance news. But with that, Kyle, any other words before we get out of here? No, I think we covered it all. Uh, you know, if you want to check out motivation for some of these players, mm -hmm. I have the motivation thing up. I will update that if we get any more quotes, although we're probably done getting quotes. I will add some notes on uh, the Packers to that as well. And I will update if somehow the Chiefs lose, things get a little more open for some other teams like New England, possibly getting the one seed, I believe, as well as the Bengals, who have already sat Joe Burrow, but maybe that means Chase plays a little longer. So updated if we get any interesting nuggets from that. Otherwise, uh, no, that's it. Good luck to everyone. We are still on the quest for one of us. We've had a few listener binks, but we need some more here. The last large field slate the last large game slate of the entire year. So good luck this week. He's Kyle Dvorak at Kyle Tweets here. I am John Daigle at Not Jay Daigle. We'll be back on for a recap show on Sunday night. And then also looking forward, playoff only content show, 7.30 p.m. Eastern, Monday night. That'll be me, friend, four for four football friends, Joe Pano and Connor Allen. So if anything, good luck this week and we will see you then. Catch you later. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.